Hello, everyone. It's Thursday, March 10th, time for episode 137 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. How's everyone today on this Thursday? Uh, it's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. So let's start today with Major League Baseball. So we are now at day 99 of the lockout. And yesterday, MLB canceled two weeks of the regular season. So as of right now, if miraculously (laughs) there were some um, ability for the two sides to come together, opening day currently is April 14th. So right now, again, two weeks is not a lot of time. I I don't know how many games uh, exactly were canceled. We do know that there are a bevy of games that happen within a two-week period to get in that whole Um, whole schedule for the season. Um, The international draft has now become an issue. So we talked through the bevy of issues that were keeping the two sides apart. Um, Also, there have been some new pieces that have been brought into the disagreement on both sides. For example, um, the establishment of a pitch clock. So they're talking about having a pitch clock for, and I think I forget the times, but so many uh, seconds between pitches and those times will differ between whether there is someone on base versus no one on base. Also, um, the uh, the DH rule. So will the DH rule be adapted by the National League? So those are some other minor uh, pieces that have come up from, uh, you know, Major League Baseball and the, the union. The international draft um uh, was it um big poppy david ortiz has basically said that he is for the mlb looking into doing the studies and establishing an international draft but again this has become the new issue in addition to the bevy of financial issues that are keeping the two sides apart so we'll again keep an eye on it but again uh, tomorrow will be the 100th day of the lockout as we know there have been some activity with baseball, but again, because of the lockout, we know that things have to be, uh, things have stopped. There's been very few, um, fine, there's a whole bunch of financial uh, contract decisions that have been made, but nothing can become official until the lockout has been uh, solved. Let's go over to the NFL. A lot of stuff going on in the NFL. So we start with the Washington Commanders. So the, so the uh, Indianapolis Colts trade Carson Wentz to the Commanders. The, um, the Colts get two third-round picks, so both those picks will be this year and next year, 2023. Now, the 2023 pick can become a second-round pick if Wentz plays 70% of the snaps this season. So, again, that will all be dependent upon how often he plays. Also, the commanders will pay the $28 million in salary owed to Wentz for the 2022 season. Oh, boy, when this news hit Twitter, <laughs> oh, man, you talk about mixed reactions. Um, on one hand, you had Commanders fans are going, well, we got a quarterback, and the other Commanders fans are going, oh, big whoop de doo Now, um, let's look at the numbers here. 32 quarterbacks have started for the commanders since they won the 91 Super Bowl 32 and <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll come back to the quarterback thing in just a minute but that is literally that is the most 
in the league. Also, the team has had the worst total QBR in the league since 2018. So from 2018 to right now, there have been 71 touchdowns scored by their quarterbacks. So listen to that. From 2018 to now, 71 touchdowns. That is the overall worst, in addition to having the worst QBR. And let's look at the record. Since that time, the team is 24 and 41. So we know what the issue here is or what the issue is when you don't have a good quarterback or when you're constantly playing this game of let's play this revolving door with the quarterbacks. Okay. So the Colts initially, I'm sorry, um, the, the commanders initially um, wanted to make a deal with Seattle for Russell Wilson. So they were offering three first round picks for Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. We'll talk about him in a minute. He's on his way to Denver. So we'll go through all that, all the particulars of that in just a second. Um, as far as the numbers, I mean, Wentz's numbers aren't terrible, but I mean, he had what his last three games of last season. I think what the Colts only needed to win one of their last three games to go to the playoffs. They dropped all three. They lost to the Jaguars. So he had a pretty good season overall, but he just struggled in those last three games. So last season he went 322 for 516. So his completion rate was about 62%. And I think in his final uh, his final three games, I think, or final two games, his completion rate was about 50-something percent. He threw for 3,563 yards, 27 touchdowns, and only seven interceptions. So seven interceptions is his career low, and he's done that four times in his career. So he is capable of throwing very few touch, very few uh, interceptions. He's very capable. I think one issue I think people have I think they are hearkening back to when he was in Philly and there was you know win the Super Bowl and then there's all the you know oh I should be the guy and there was the back and forth with with management and then they ended up shipping him off to Indianapolis so in coming back to the NFC East you know the fans are kind of thinking well you know is is it going to be you know is he going to be steady has he kind of learned this lesson um, my thought is, you know, he's coming to a team that if, again, if they can get out of their own way, I mean, defensively, they seem to have started to get the pieces together and figure it out. Offensively, it's still kind of, you know, can they get the stability from him to kind of get the offense moving? That's kind of the question. Now, if they can do that much on the field then the next thing I'm looking for, because I'm because I'm with this franchise, I'm always waiting for the next shoe to drop. So if they get together on the field, will management find a way to screw this up? Now they got a good, they got a decent GM. So again, I don't see the GMs being a problem. I don't see the vice president of operations being the problem. You know who's the problem here. And although he's quote, um, he's quote, oh well, I'm hands off. I'm not quote in charge. You know he's still pulling the strings. I'm not. You know who I'm talking about. I'm not gonna say his name. But how is this going to go the wrong way? That's that's it. So again, if they find a way to figure make this work on the field, and even if they make it work, let's say, you know, I, I don't know if this team has enough to win the division. Although I, I call them the NFC least for a reason. 
But let's say they stumble into a wild card. Let's say they're a wild card team, okay? And let's say they win first round, they win their wild card game, they go to the divisionals. Okay, good. Let's say they lose in the divisional round, which is possible. Then you say, okay, we've done the things necessary to get us, you know, to start to build. So we say, okay, we get to the divisional round, we lose. All right. So now we come back and look at this. All right. How do we continue to improve and build? Because the next leap, the next iteration should be what? Let's build to win the division. You win the division, you're putting yourself in a better position because, okay, let's say, you know, the record is good enough to get yourself home field advantage. Then you're on the right track. But again, all that goes down to what? Where you fall in this is about where you, you know, how many games you win. So that's going to be the key piece here. Have they finally gotten, I think this will be quarterback 33. <laughs> so the 33rd time's the charm. Is that is that the saying that they say? <laughs> so the 33rd time here, do they have the guy that's going to have, you know, he's got the experience, he's got a Super Bowl ring. So is this going to be the guy that's going to start the, the forward progression of this franchise in 20 plus years. Because again, like I said, they haven't won Super Bowl since 91. So the last time they won a Super Bowl, it was the 20th century. <laughs> so again, I'm sorry because I, I, now for, for those of you who know me, you, you know, you know, the, the, I, I hate calling them, calling them the commander. I hate this name. I really hate this name. I, which is the lamer name, the Washington football team or the Washington commanders? I, I absolutely abhor this name. And, hey, you know, I am a, I am a fan. I, you know, I, you know, I was a fan of the team, you know, back in the day when they had the other name as a kid. Just, you, know, I, you know, I got to the point, you know, not that, you know, again, I don't consume the NFL like I used to, but. I, you know, in watching this team, I got to a point where I said, you know what, whatever happens, happens, because I've come to expect them to not do anything. I've come to expect them to disappoint me every time. And so now the question here is, you know, are have they finally sort of figured this out? Again, the pieces are there administratively. Now, with people who are competent in the administrative positions and they seem to be making the right moves. I mean, you know, the Russell Wilson, you know, coup or, or attempt, you know, got to give him credit for that. But now, you know, with Wentz coming in, OK, is number 33 going to be the one that kind of starts this forward progression? Because, again, in over 20 years, you know, this team continually finds new and new and new and interesting ways to regress, to disappoint to just screw the pooch. So we'll see how it all goes. Again, I, I think the reaction to this, um, th this, you know, trade was mixed, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, as I mentioned, Russell Wilson is on his way to Denver. So it was my understanding that, you know, from the reports I read, number one, he waived his trade clause. That was his preference. If he had to be trade, no one is really sure if he asked to be traded. Nevertheless, he goes to Denver. Seattle gets quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, plus two first round picks. So they get the number nine and number and number nine pick uh, in uh, 2022 and next year. 
They get two second-round picks, so that's number 40 this year and next year. They get one fifth-round pick in 2022 and one fourth-round pick in 2022, so this year. Okay. Now, going back to the quarterbacks thing, Denver, they have had 11 quarterbacks since 2016, so they are tied with the Commanders. So here's a franchise, I think I mentioned this you know, a few a few weeks ago, that here's a franchise that is in the same position. They need a quarterback who can direct this offense. And, you know, quarterback play, as we know, is very intimately linked with, you know, how the team performs. So we all know Russell Wilson's, uh, you know, his accomplishments. So Seattle for 10 years, nine times to the Pro Bowl, he has Super Bowl ring. Um, he has more wins in 10 years by any quarterback in the NFL. So, again, he did great things in Seattle. Again, after 10 years, when he, once the trade was confirmed and put out there uh, for the world to see, he, he tweeted, you know, thank you, number three. Thank you, Seattle, you know, number three forever, so on and so forth. So he thanked the fans. Um, Seattle also released linebacker uh, Bobby Wagner. So, what Seattle is doing is, you know, they got rid of him. They released him to reduce their make some cap space. So, by releasing Wagner, they reduced their cap by about seventeen million. But of course, that puts a hole in the middle of the defense. So again, they can fill that hole more likely uh, through the draft or through other means. Um, remember, Denver has a new head coach, so Nathaniel Hackett. They also have uh, wide receivers, uh, number of wide receivers, guys like Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton and others um denver super bowl odds now with russell wilson going to denver their super bowl odds in, uh reduced from 25 to 1 to 12 to 1 seattle super bowl odds increase 40 to 1 to 75 to 1 so with that here are your top uh odds so the best odds for the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 57. So currently the Bills and Chiefs are kind of together with the best odds. Packers, Rams, and then tied are San Francisco and Denver. So those are your top five teams. So as we mentioned, San Francisco and Denver are tied. Your top five teams with the best odds to win Super Bowl 57. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers will return to Green Bay next season. So... Pretty good season for him. MVP award, 37 touchdowns, four interceptions. I mean, you know, hey, Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things on the field. We know off the field it was a hot mess. Uh, all the things that the Packers did that, you know, other teams were like, they are literally in our faces violating COVID protocol. So, again, we all know about that. That's probably going to be a big discussion. And I think, unfortunately, I think that's going to kind of be – you know, at the end of his career, I think that's going to be one of those albatrosses that's going to hang around his neck for a little while. I don't think it's going to be something that's going to you know keep him out of Hall of Fame. I, you know, I don't think it's going to be that bad unless he goes all uh, unless he goes Kurt Schilling on everybody and just really releases the right wing crazy. Um, I, and, and look, there's still time because again, he, I feel like he lives on the Pat McAfee show and every time he's on Pat McAfee, I'm just like, okay, great. He's going to say something incredibly stupid and, and I don't have an L for tomorrow. So we'll, <laughs> I'm going to see what he said recently because I'm sure he, he's just said something ridiculous. Also, Aaron Rodgers is a 9.4 touchdown to interception ratio. That is the best in a two season span, but 
since winning Super Bowl 45 in 16 games, he is seven and nine in the playoffs. So great season. The playoff run was not very good for him. So again, um, he's back. He wants to you know, make that run. And, you know, I think there's, you know, a good opportunity for that. But the other piece, so they're really trying to solidify this team. They've got a lot of guys on both sides of the football who are free agents they're trying to get the team settled. They want the core there. But the big piece to this is Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, he's expected to get the franchise tag. And with that, a $20.12 million in compensation. But a lot of the stuff I'm reading, people are saying, listen, they've got to work out a long-term deal with him. If they're going to put the franchise tag on him, $20 million is not going to be enough to keep him in Green Bay for you know, for the duration. Um, but again, the question here is, you know, how long is Aaron Rodgers think he's going to be doing this? He's back next season. Okay. Let's say green Bay gets it done and they go through and win super Bowl 57. Okay. Then does he say, all right, I got my two, I'm out of here. Then what does that do? Of course, you know, um, then who's the successor? Okay, so how does how do they work that out? Do they, you know, promote from within or do they go look for a a, a free agent quarterback to come in with some experience, a veteran quarterback with some experience? I mean, again, all the pieces are at play here, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Let's see. Next thing. Let's go to the world of golf. Couple things here. Um, Last night, the World Golf Hall of Fame induction occurred. Tiger Woods was inducted so he was elected to the world golf hall of fame in march of 2020 but the ceremony was delayed due to the COVID 19 pandemic and outbreak um so again you know really with tiger you know we know the resume again someone's resume that you're probably familiar with he's won all the majors at least once he's won the masters five times the pga four times he's won the u.s open and the open championship three times um, he was uh, introduced uh, by his daughter, Sam. Um, he thanked uh, his parents, you know, for their sacrifices. He talked about um, as a junior not being able to enter uh, clubhouses in uh, country clubs because they were barring him for being black. And he also talked about how his parents took out a second mortgage on their home to finance his travel as a junior golfer. But again, you know, we all know that his father really, you know, put that, uh, that work ethic into him. So he taught him the game when he was really, really young and just taught him the, the, the importance of working and, you know, improving your craft and, you know, just getting after it. So, you know, we, you know, you see that drive on the golf course um, if you've ever watched him play and, and he's just, you know, for him, golf is just, it's so natural, you know, as it is for <clears throat> many professionals. It's just, you know, it just happens. And, you know, for somebody like me, I'm just like, well, shit, I wish I could get that good, you know. Um, and I know it'll take time, but <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. So um, I'm, you know, um, you know, congratulations to him. Um, other inductees, uh, Susie Maxwell, is that, I'm sorry, Susie Maxwell, uh, burning, Benning rather, can't read my own handwriting. Three-time winner of the Women's U.S. Open, Tim Fincham, former PGA commissioner, and Marion Hollings. So she was the 1921 U.S. Women's Amateur Champion and first female golf course developer. Uh, 
also happening in real time, the Players' Championship from TPC Sawgrass in Florida. So this is considered the unofficial fifth major. Um, and one thing they mentioned, going back to Tiger Woods for a second, this tournament, uh, when this when Tiger started playing, this tournament had a purse of about three million, something like that. So the winner got you know winner got broke off maybe about six figures. Now because of you know his influence on the game, not just seeing an influx of more black players, but also just the popularity of golf increased. Um, now the purse is twenty million, so I think the winner gets like. I won't say the winner gets about a million somewhere, a million or north of a million. So the winner of this tournament gets a nice chunk of change. Uh, typically, whoever wins this, they usually come out as a possible favorite to win the Masters. The Masters will be happening in about a month from now. Um, so currently at the players and this tournament, I'm sorry, this tournament also has the infamous 17th Island Green. So if you've never seen this, um, go to YouTube and, and just look up, you know, um, TPC Sawgrass Island Green. And essentially it's a par three hole. But basically the green is literally an island. So you walk, I think, to your right to get to it. And then there's a little grassy bridge to get across to it. But it's an island in the middle of a lake. And we all think that if you play professional golf, oh, you got this. You're good. Plenty of golfers, really, really good names, have put probably a dozen balls on one uh, tee off into that lake. It is the craziest thing ever. And then, of course, there have been plenty who have aced that hole. So it's one of, and it's all about where the pin is placed. So again, um, interesting, uh, very daunting holes. Probably one of the most intimidating holes in golf. Currently leading the. Players Championship, and it's live on ESPN Plus. Harold Varner III and Will Zalatoris and Tommy Fleetwood are all tied at four under. Um, Zalatoris, if you recall, was the rookie of the year last year, so a name that you'll probably be seeing on leaderboards as we begin a major season uh, in about a month from now. Tommy Fleetwood, for me, I think is a guy who I, I think he's due. Um, he's always somewhere in the mix use the first couple days in these majors and then uh, you know as 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 it happens things just happen you 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 don't hit the ball well you don't put well whatever but you know Tommy Fleetwood's a name Will Zalatoris and as I mentioned I think Xander Shoffley is gonna win one this year pick one you know he won the gold medal so he's due but again uh players championship is uh on and as we start to think about the majors coming up all right when we come back we'll jump into college basketball we'll just talk through what's happening uh ap top 10 uh conference tournament updates and we'll put a bow on the thursday show we've been a while since we've had a thursday show but remember we'll be back tomorrow stay tuned
All right, everyone, welcome back. Let's talk uh, top 10 for AP men's and women's for week 18. So on the men's side, Gonzaga, number one, with 52 first place votes. Number two, Arizona with eight first place votes. And number three, Baylor with three first place votes. They all hold position. Up one to number four is Auburn. Up two to number five is Kentucky. Holding at uh, number six is Kansas. Duke drops three spots to number seven. Villanova jumps three spots to number eight and tied at ninth. Tennessee up four spots and Purdue down one spot. On the ladies' side, South Carolina holds on to the number one position even after losing the SEC championship game to Tennessee. However, the first place votes get split. South Carolina holds with 17 first place votes. Stanford wins the Pac-12, as we said, their 15th tournament, uh, tournament, uh, conference tournament victory. They get 11 first place votes. NC State wins the ACC, and they get two first place votes. Up one to number four is Baylor. Down one spot to number five is Louisville. Up one spot to six, one spot to six is UConn. Up two spots to seven is Texas. Up four spots to number eight is Iowa. Down three to number nine is LSU. And up down two spots is to number 10 is Iowa State. News and notes from women's college basketball. Just one note. Uh, Michigan State guard and leading scorer Nia Cloudon declares for the WNBA draft. So she had extra an extra year of eligibility due to COVID-19. She's going to opt out. Um, she is a projected first round pick. So for Michigan State, she started and played in 117 games, led Michigan State in scoring the last three seasons. Her averages, 20 points a game, 4.2 rebounds, 4.2 assists, and 1.2 steals. She shoots about 43% from the field and 40% from the three-point line. Um, we talked about this. She was one of uh, about four players who scored 50 points or more this season. She had a 50-point game against Florida Gulf Coast in December. Michigan State this year, they finished 500 at 15 and 15. They lost to Ohio State in the second round of the Big Ten tournament. Speaking of the WNBA, real quickly, uh, Tierra McCowan, she was traded from Indiana to Dallas with two first round picks. Indiana gets three first round picks. So when I saw this news this morning, I said to myself, okay, does Indiana want a basketball team anymore? But GM Lynn Dunn, she basically said this. We're looking at it kind of from a standpoint of they're kind of preparing for the future. This year's draft class is going to be better than last year's. Next year's is going to be even better. So if they make these trades, I believe they got three first round picks. And I think they're already set up to they're going to have multiple picks in the first round. So they can kind of start building the team, kind of rebuilding the team. Now they can make a few more uh, deals and trades kind of leading up to the draft or maybe during the season where, you know, they'll have some trades going on. So from here, it looks like Indiana is going to kind of make a slow progression upward in hopefully wins. But then looking at next season where during the offseason, they can make some more deals. They can make some more trades. They can potentially position themselves a little bit better to get bring in more talent and rebuild this roster to kind of uh, win a little bit more. Um, and Tierra McCowan, she goes to Dallas. She'll be playing along with Charlie Collier. So McCowan, I think this will be her fourth year in the league. Um, you know, I think that, and I think she averages about 12 points a game, about 12 points, five rebounds a game, somewhere in that, in that range. Um, again, I think that'll definitely be a presence for Dallas. Dallas to me, if I were looking at their roster, I think they're pretty guard heavy. So they, and they're always recruiting or not recruiting. They're always, uh, drafting, 
drafting them. They've drafted a lot of bigs over over the last couple drafts, so um, that will definitely be helpful for them. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to say about Indiana. Oh, right. Also with Indiana, remember that their last two or three first-round picks, they've waved. So Lauren Cox got waved. Kaiser Gondrasek got waved. So hopefully with these picks, they're going to be an integral part of this team, the foundation that this team is trying to rebuild to kind of move them out of the cellar of, of the WNBA. So again, I think the strategy will be much different with Lynn Dunn than what Tamika Catchings was doing as uh, general manager. All right, let's look at the conference tournament updates. So uh, for the women, let's get back to the women. The automatic qualifiers from the Summit League, South Dakota, from the Mountain West last night, UNLV uh, defeated Colorado State. Here's a big one. Gonzaga out of the West Coast Conference defeated number 15 BYU. So this is interesting because that shifts things a little bit. Gonzaga gets the automatic bid. BYU 15th ranked. This is going to be interesting if BYU, I haven't looked at the, the women's bracketology, but will 15th ranked BYU still get in? Will WCC get two teams in? Or will that shift push BYU kind of to the side and then will some other team get an opportunity? We'll see because I think already they're talking potentially about having two teams from the Atlantic 10, which is crazy because Dayton's really good team. Um, UMass won the won the conference tournament, so there's you know so so some of these mid major conferences, depending upon who wins it and and the position of the best team, there there's a little bit of wiggle room. But again, who does that hurt the most? That hurts the teams on the bubble the most. Um, IUPUI from the Horizon League, I think there's an Indiana, Pennsylvania, blah 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 blah. Anyway, I forget the acronym, but IUPUI wins the Horizon. Um, UConn won the Big East, so they won their 20th title uh, in the Big East, their ninth straight. So they won the return game against Villanova. They beat Villanova 70 to 40. Um, Avina Westbrook, 13 points off the bench. Maddie Segrist, the Player of the Year in the Big East, uh, had 16 for Villanova, and Kristen Williams is the tournament MVP. Uh, on the ladies, the schedule for today, the SWAC, the MEAC, the Mid-American, the Metro Atlantic all have their quarterfinals along with Conference USA, the American Athletic, the Atlantic Sun, Conference USA, the Northeast, and the Patriot all have their semifinals. Actually, I take that back. The Atlantic Sun has their final, should have their finals today, if I recall correctly. Um, let's see. Also, the Southland the Missouri Valley Big 12 and CAA Hall have their first round and the Western Athletic have their second round. Uh, tonight, the American Athletic Conference has their final. The I-4 rivalry gets renewed. South Florida versus number 25 UCF, 9 p.m. ESPNU. So this game was last played on February 13th and UCF's crushed uh, South Florida, 54 to 33. So I think South Florida is going to be looking to try to avenge that loss against their arch rivals and get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Um, let's see. On the men's side, your automatic qualifiers, Gonzaga beat their arch rivals in the West Coast Conference, St. Mary's, 82-69. Uh, the Atlantic Sun, Bellarmine, Bryant will represent the Northeast Conference. The <coughs> Delaware, excuse me, will represent the CAA. Wright State will represent the Horizon, and South Dakota State will represent the Summit League. 
in the Patriot League, Colgate beat Navy 74, excuse me, to 58. All right, today, uh, for the men, the American Athletic begins their first round, second round action, Big Ten, the SEC, and the Atlantic 10. Quarterfinals in the Big East, Conference USA, Western Athletic, ACC, SWAC, MEAC, Metro Atlantic, Big, T- Big 12, Pac-12, Mountain West, uh, Mid-American, Big Sky, Big West, and Southland. So across the ESPN platform, even if you have ESPN+, Plus, which is totally worth it, you can get to see basketball from all across the United States to kind of start to f- feel a lot of these teams out. A um, couple notes from conference action from last night. So there are two games that are going to affect the brackets on the men's side. Wake Forest lost to BC in the uh, second round of the ACC tournament. And Xavier lost in the Big East. I believe they lost to Creighton. So um, in looking at the bracketology, so currently per Joe Lenardi, um First team out is Indiana. Last team in is SMU. Wake Forest is currently last four in. And according to Joey Brackets, they're still going to be in. They're on the same line of the last four in with Xavier. Um, Virginia, so they beat Louisville by a point last night, which to me is a little scary because they had to work in that game. Typically, you know, Louisville is not a bad team. They're just kind of in a weird position with a, a interim coach. Um, you know, they've been really grinding trying to work this thing out. Um, but for Virginia to have to work that hard against Louisville, I really think Virginia, I mean, it, it's going to be some work for them. They got Carolina tonight in the quarters of the ACC tournament. Um, they can beat Carolina. I believe they beat Carolina during the season, but Again, they're, Carolina, the way they're playing right now, especially if they come out and play like they did against Duke in that finale, it's going to be a hard out for the Cavaliers. And currently they are first four out. Virginia Tech, they just escaped Clemson last night. Clemson came from behind. I watched the end of that game because that game went overtime. Uh, they came from behind, hit a three-pointer at the end of overtime to win that one. They are next four out along with VCU, Florida, and Texas A&M. And right now, uh, per Joey Brackets, Wake Forest and Xavier are currently going to be in the first four, and they will play each other as 12 seeds. So uh, Wake uh, didn't really do themselves any favors, although they had roughly about a week off. They looked real sluggish against Boston College. And I think, you know, and of course, uh, their two best players between the two of them had 11 turnovers. So again, if your best players are not taking care of the basketball and you're not shooting particularly well, those are the two things that are going to get you kicked out of a tournament. Those are the things that lose basketball games. So again, um, those two teams, they're kind of steady right now, but how the other teams maneuver this. And again, uh, also what other action happens in these other conference tournaments. So what if you get a run of a team like what Georgetown did last year in the Big East? That affected a lot of teams and their ability to get into the tournament because, hey, this is a team that I think barely won 10 games. They go on a round one quest and they finish on Saturday night by winning the whole darn thing. That causes a bit of a shift in what teams will get into the tournament. So 
uh, we got to keep an eye on what teams are making those types of moves uh, in these in these tournaments here. Um, one last thing before we go. Um, also from the ACC tournament, uh, Syracuse beat Florida State. They will play Duke, top-seeded Duke tonight, uh, this afternoon. Uh, this afternoon, Actually, that game will be starting probably about the next 10 to 15 minutes. Um, on one play, Buddy Bayheim he punched a Florida State player. No foul was called. Um, the ACC reviewed what happened, and they suspended him for the Duke game. So that's going to be a, a tough – I mean, it's going to be a tall task. It's going to be a tall task if Buddy Beheim was playing. We all know that kid can shoot lights out. However, it's going to be an even taller task without him playing. So the other three-point shooters for the Syracuse team are going to have to step up. Um one thing I, I, I observed this, I didn't I would, didn't see the game, but, you know, obviously Twitter, they're always on top of this happened. So I went and looked it up and saw the video. And his dad, as we know, Jim Beheim's a head coach and um, the way he characterized the incident just was not good. So essentially, when asked about it in the postgame presser, he said, oh, well, um, the kid was shoving him and he reached around and, you know, kind of gave him a shove. And uh, people are going, no, that's not what happened. So essentially, Jim Beheim kind of caught a lot of flack for kind of not calling it what it was. Buddy Beheim said, look, this is what happened. I punched the guy. Hey, I apologize multiple times to him after the play, after things cooled off in the in the. Um, in the uh, handshake line, he apologized multiple times. He accepted the responsibility. He said, look, I did it. it I was wrong for it. You know, hey, I'm getting suspended. And and that's that's the end of that. So, I mean, again, it's kind of like how – I mean, I get that's your dad, but come on, dude. Like, have a little bit of perspective on this. Now, the only thing I can figure is maybe he didn't see how it happened, but I, I don't know. It's – it was clearly obvious from the camera angle what happened. So, but again, the, the, the comments I saw on Twitter, people were going, well, geez, Buddy Bayham takes more responsibility for his actions than his dad. And I'm going, yeah, this is true. Um, but nevertheless, I'm going to leave it at that because I've had my comments and hear in other podcasts about Jim Bayheim. But again, like I said, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um you know, um, he's been there for quite a number of years and, you know, he said that there is a plan for him to for his successor when it's time. So, you know, you know, um, hopefully time will come soon. Anyway, with that, I leave you for this Thursday, March 10th edition of the Sports Wagon podcast. I appreciate you listening and tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow as we do. We we'll wrap up the week. We'll try to get you set up for the weekend. It's still championship week. Selection Sunday's coming. So I got to figure out how I'm going to deliver all this bracket news to you. Um, I believe this year, if I recall correctly, I'm going to double check this for tomorrow. They're going to have both selection shows on on Sunday. I think the men's show will be on first. And I think the ladies will do Sunday evening. They used to do selection Monday, which will be perfect because I hate waiting a day to, uh, to know where all the. Uh, ladies teams are going because there are a number of teams I'm really keeping my eye on right now. For example, I'm really keeping my eye on Rhode Island. I, I, I've i got a bad feeling 
that they're going to be on the outside looking in on this, but I expect them to be an NIT team. And if they're an NIT team, that is a very good sign for them because I mentioned to you, I think three of the last four NIT champions are now currently ranked. They're going to be NCAA teams. And I think that is the upward trajectory for that Rhode Island program under Tammy Reese. And again, um, I don't think anyone's really talked about it yet, at least from the press I've seen. But, you know, her name has and is probably the number one target for the Virginia job. So, again, you know, I don't know how this is being you know played right now has, you know, what are the things that are happening on both sides? I mean, obviously, Virginia can't do anything right now because, you know, she still has an active season going on. Um, I don't know if Rhode Island is making any moves to potentially keep her in Kingston. So, again, I'm very interested to see how the A-10 fares because, again, as I said, there's a potential for two A-10 teams to get in. Also, you know, we look at who's going to be. We all know who the number one seeds are. But also looking at the women's bubble, what teams are going to be in versus be out. And, of course, again, there are other teams whose coaches are possibly up for uh, or possibly will be talked to for new jobs. So wherever their teams fall, NCAAs, WNIT, and then how will all that play out over the next few weeks? So I'm very interested. So I'm glad that the women, if I'm if I'm correct, and I'll check this for tomorrow, I'm hoping that both selection shows will be on Sunday. So that's going to be a full two hours <laughs> of me downloading brackets and trying to figure this all out and uh i'm excited and of course it's the best time of the year and of course remember kids spring ahead this sunday yes more daylight screw standard time i'm ready for some more daylight i'm ready to leave this house at 6 p.m and it's still light outside so spring is coming and I could be more happy. But again, thank you for listening. You know where to find me, Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. The podcast is on most major platforms. Like, subscribe, uh, share with some friends, tell a friend, tell, tell all your friends, tune in. And I appreciate you listening. Uh, until I see you again, again, continue, mask up, get vaccinated, social distance, do all we can, stamp out COVID in our lifetime, and, and of course, as I always tell you, drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.